Let's continue to pray, pray for the church, uh, pray for Abby and Jared, uh, pray for those of us who know them very well and we are hurting inside. Uh, please talk to somebody, uh, get it out of your system, uh, and maybe this is something that it's a tough lesson to learn, but in life, God gives us all kinds of lessons. And ask God for mercy for this moment. Now, before we pray, we'd like to introduce a new friend of ours, uh, Aaron. Miss Aaron Piner, could you stand, please? Uh, Aaron is the new coordinator for the Alpha Omega College Group. Uh, she would be helping us uh, with... Uh, college ministries, and I believe uh, Sister Ting Ting is so, so glad she's doing that now. <laughs> so please pray for Aaron as she begins to work uh, with our college ministries. Uh, you realize that we have lots of challenges. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning, and that, Lord, we, we need them. Because, Father, we face each day new challenges and Lord we know that they first come through your loving hands before they reach us and Lord we come to you as we face uh, the daunting task of building this body and Lord we grieve for Abby and Jared we continue to pray for them Lord that you help them through this crisis Father we, we pray that you will guide them through this dark valley as they look to you. Lord, we know, I know that he deeply loves you, but Father, he has sinned, and Lord, there are consequences. But Father, he's a brother in Christ, and we commit him to you, and we commit Abby as well to you. And Father, we pray for our young people uh, who are close to them, and as we grieve with them, Father, we pray that we will all grow stronger as a result of this crisis that we are facing. Lord, what lessons do you want us to learn? And Lord, you remind us that we are in the midst of spiritual conflict. And maybe this is a manifestation of that. So help us, Lord, we pray, as we fight this spiritual battle today. Give us grace and mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the end of Ephesians 6. We are asked to put on the armor of God and we are right now in Ephesians 6 and I want to read verse 10 to us which is the focus of this morning's message. Are we really in a war? Ephesians 6 verse 10 Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, stand, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And then he goes on in verse 13 to say, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Are we at war? Well, we are at war. Uh, there are different kinds of war. In 2010, do you realize that in Afghanistan, 10,000 people were killed? That's a real war. 
There's another kind of war, 2010, in Mexico. 15,000 people were killed because of the drug trade. From 2006 to 2010, the drug war in Mexico alone killed 34,000 people. And you, you hear about it, but it's not as bloody and as open as what we see in Afghanistan. But there is a war. And let me suggest to us this morning that we as believers, we face a far deadlier war than those wars. Because in this war that we fight for, the, the, the conflict is bloodier, the outcome is more grim, the results are eternal. But the question is that, do we know that we are in a spiritual war? That it's a terrible war? There are casualties? See, what happened is that many of us don't really believe that. Look at this. Uh, you may have remembered. I remembered it when it first came out in Singapore. That was sort of like the logo. I don't know how you pronounce it. Orange Julius? You remember looking at it? A devilish good drink. I, I guess it's no longer very popular. See, we laugh at the fact when we talk about, oh, we are fighting a spiritual warfare against the devil because of these kind of pictures we have of the devil. That this is a cupid, a guy who has a red tail and a, a pitchfork. And we laugh and we make fun of him. He's just a comic character and we poo-poo his presence. We are in, we are at war. And two books have been written over a period of 60 years. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote his in 1965. Chip Ingram wrote his just 2006. It's the invisible war. See, what happened is that we are allowed into a sleep because we don't see this warfare clearly because it's invisible. We are fighting an invisible war. And I think that's one of the reasons why this war is so hard. It's very hard on Christians. We learned a little bit about spiritual warfare last week. We talked about the fact that we have to stand our ground and take on the full armor. But is it something that we are really interested in? Probably not if we don't really believe that we are fighting a war. Why should I even bother to know the pieces of armor or even study about the devil? And I believe that this is one reason why this battle is hard on all of us because we know so little. And I think this is one of the weakest parts of a Christian's theology and life. I must tell you that in all my Christian life, 40 years, I really have not heard a sermon on the spiritual warfare, especially Ephesians 6. And let me tell you, one of the first assignments I was given when I took Greek, when we actually studied Greek, we divided the six chapters of Ephesians. I happened to be, the, the professor just picked the topics and assigned us. My last name is Tam, T-H-A-M. And you know what I was assigned? Ephesians 6. And I look at this passage. How do I exegete this? What, what is the breastplate of righteousness? That sounds so foreign. It's hard. We know very little. And what happens, and if you ask many Christians, they really don't know a lot about it. And often what they know 
are the distorted images that Hollywood puts out. That's, that is the devil. We, we laugh at those pictures. And we have pictures of Draculas, of the devil who he is as powerful as God himself. The dark side, the force, and it's like a balancing act. That's not true. God is the most powerful being in the whole universe. Satan is far, far below him. Now, as I look and study this over the past few months, I'm more and more con convinced that Satan has many of us fooled into complacency. He doesn't exist. Or if he exists, we think he is so strong. Either way, it is a distorted picture. Christians are expected to put on the whole armor and to stand against Satan. How can we do that if we don't even believe he, that he exists? How can we do that if we don't even believe that we are in mortal combat with Satan? See, Satan is a master tactician. He has thousands of years to refine his skills, to cause us to discount him. I just read this past week, some of you get the ransoms letters, the ransoms of missionaries to China, and if you read their letter, the spiritual conflict that they have to fight, how to open up the minds of Chinese who think that everything is fine. And they fight it every day. And spiritual warfare is real in China. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says, the God, realize it's in small letters, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, what happened is that Satan has blinded the world so that the world cannot see how beautiful Jesus is, how beautiful and glorious is the gospel. So the world is blind. And when we talk to them, they have no idea of what you're talking about. But you know, Christians are blind to the fact that we are at war with Satan. There are many misconceptions about this topic. Either we overemphasize it and always talk about spiritual warfare, or we don't talk about it at all. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Lattice, commented that there are two common mistakes that one can make in dealing with Satan, the enemy. The first is to give him too much emphasis, and the other is not giving him enough emphasis. Now, according to two authors, Bill Myers and David Wimbish, a few years ago, Christians are so into this whole thing about spiritual warfare. They see devils in everything, devils in the doorknobs, devils in the car. And you have this guy who came up to him and said, please lay hands on my car. There is a devil in the engine. Okay, this is his response, okay? Uh, Bill Myers, I quote, I passed, the, didn't want to get involved, figuring a 60,000-mile tune-up would do a lot more for the car than an exorcism. See what happens? People go overboard. They see devil in everything. It is too easy to say, the devil made me do it and blame it on the devil every time. That is one extreme. The other extreme is not to believe in him at all, which I think 
may be the case for many of us. We don't think about Him, that He's behind a lot of our thoughts, our actions. In all the churches that I have been in, I have never heard a sermon. I have never heard a sermon from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. I have never heard a sermon on spiritual warfare. And I spoke with our veteran missionary, Reverend Dickinson. I sent him email. I talked to him. In fact, I just spoke, talked to him yesterday. And you know that uh, Reverend Art speaks fluent Mandarin, Cantonese, Hokkien, besides English, of course. And she, he, they have been missionaries uh, to Taiwan for 30 over years. And I asked him, now, as far as spiritual warfare is concerned, did you have any first-hand encounters? And Reverend Art told me this, no, it's always second-hand. I hear it from someone else. See, Satan is very smart. He camouflages himself. He doesn't come right out. And often, we don't hear a lot about it, especially in built-up areas, in areas where we don't believe in his existence. My mentor is a retiree in Pennsylvania, and I ask her. She's been a missionary with Overseas Missionary Fellowship for 30, 40 years of her life, and she spent a lot of time in the jungles of Thailand and Burma. And the first group of people that she ministered to are the Lisu people. The Lisus are the, the neighbors of the Karen refugees that we, we ministered to for a number of years. And this was what she said. I asked her, could you tell me in all your experiences, were there spiritual encounters with the dark forces? You see the devil, that he manifests himself. And this was what she said. When she first arrived, the first village that she arrived in Lisu territory, they were given a hut, and they lived in that hut. She and another lady missionary fresh out of missionary school. And you know what? That experience, all the experienced missionaries left that day. That night was a terrible night. She said they couldn't sleep because as they went to bed, they could hear eerie sounds from all the neighboring hearts and they became stronger and stronger. Stronger and stronger. Eerie sounds. And later on, she discovered what they were. One heart was calling out to the evil spirit to drive the missionaries away. They were calling to the evil spirits to drive the missionaries away. And it went on, and it just, every heart began calling to, on the evil spirit. Now, the only reason why they were allowed to be in that village was that they inoculated the, 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 the children and the people from smallpox. And so they were welcome to, to get the free medicine. And she said, the head man of that village looks like the devil incarnate. His look, his face, the way he talks. And so she remembered that, the oppression. And she and this other lady missionary, all they could do was sit down, pray the whole night through. And then the sound subsided. And she said that over the next few weeks, they had experiences of driving out evil spirits from people who are possessed. 
And in one case, she said it was a laughing demon. This lady will just laugh. It was an eerie kind of laugh. And it, it took them three days of just praying, and I believe she said fasting, to drive this spirit out. Now those are direct encounters in third world countries, in countries where people actually invited the Holy invited the evil spirits into their, into, into their lives, into their culture. And so the, the cultures are steeped in all this belief. And Satan can work his charms on them. Another missionary of missionary that I if she's still alive, she would be a hundred years old. The last time we saw her was in England when she was 90. And this is what she said. She taught us theology in Bible college. And one time when we were dealing with demon possession in the gospel, she said this. When she first arrived in China, she was very young, didn't know anything. And uh, because there were so few missionaries, she was the only one in this particular village. And she was called almost suddenly to come to the next village because somebody was demon-possessed. When she arrived at the, the home of this man who was demon-possessed, you know what this guy was doing? This guy was walking up the, up the wall, walking on the ceiling. Can you picture? She said that she has never seen it before. It frightened the daylight out of her. And she prayed. All she could do was pray. But that's what we need to do, pray. She prayed, she fasted. It took a long time. But the demon was finally driven out of this man. And when the man was in sound mind, the villagers told him, did you know that you did this? And you know what he said? You got to be kidding. I couldn't walk up the wall. He was possessed. Now, is that frightening? See, what happens is that in cultures where they actually invite the evil spirits, the demons in, they took, take full control of the people because they are so superstitious. They believe in that. They believe in evil powers. They worship idols. But what about America? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. I think that is true in America. He's not the angel of darkness. Over here, he's the angel of light. Why? Because we, we, we don't like the bad stuff. We like the good stuff. And so he comes and he masquerades in the so-called good stuff of life. More and more people are involved in occult, in Satan worship. Now, we are told, Jesus said, at the end, at the end near the end times, more and more people, demonic activities will come out. That's the end time. And he has predicted it. More and more we see people worship Satan. In fact, that's a church of Satan. And we see many, many movies. Why are we so taken up by the occult? Americans are mostly, I think, too sophisticated to be lured by Satan into witchcraft, voodoo. Now, those are the direct inroads Satan takes 
Now, when we read missionary accounts, those are the direct inroads. He comes right in because they worship him. They're superstitious. And I have three, three examples of this. Uh, there are books written by people who have been set free from demonic activities. Uh, one is a Hindu student who became a guru in Hinduism. He went through all the rituals. And I'm telling you, when I first read it, it was, it was eerie. The things they do, they go to the cemetery, they do things with dead bodies and all that. And how he became a Christian. And he, he will tell you, he could tell you that there is this battle between God and the evil spirit that he has invited into his life. And there's a hard-fought, hard hard-fought battle. Uh, this guy is a, a Sikh. He wears a turban. Uh, he's even more staunch in, they are even more staunch in their beliefs than even Hindus. He became a believer. But he will tell you the struggles that he, he went through. And then this one is from a Muslim. Actually, a minister in West Pakistan. She was a, a cabinet minister, a high-ranking woman. And how she became a believer. It's amazing. And you read it, you discover that she is having that constant battle between the voices of the Spirit, hearing the Bible. She was reading the Quran and she was reading the Bible at the same time. Now, it has got to be one of these two. And she's hearing the invitation of Jesus. But at the same time, she's hearing the bad voices. So you're welcome to borrow it. You can sign out the book. There's a sign-up sheet there. Spiritual warfare is real. And Satan masquerades himself as angel of light. And that is the background of the book of Ephesians. Where did the church come from? If you look at Acts, the, the history of the church, uh, how the church was founded, you will discover that when Paul went to Ephesus, they were steeped in witchcraft. They were worshipping Diana. And this was what we read in Acts 19. Many of those who believed, turned to Christ, now came and openly confessed their evil did, deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery, sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50 thousand drachmas, silver pieces. In this way, the, world, the, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. See what happens? They were all entrenched. This is open warfare. They believe in a lie. They believe in sorcery. And so they were held captive by what they were believing in. And when Paul came to set them free, you see the immediate release. We see the power of God. In their lives. But you know, the devil does not give up easily. And if you continue to read in this chapter, there were riots. There were riots. And Paul had to run for his life. The devil does not give up a fight easily. If, the, if Satan cannot get us directly, the direct approach in sorcery, in witchcraft, in all that, he infiltrates our lives through other means 
the first and foremost commandment from the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is what? Love the Lord our God with all that we have, with our heart, with our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And so what happens is that if he can attack us and make us fall directly, he infiltrates, he goes the other route. He nibbles at our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. I want us to look at a short clip. But I, I, have, I think I have never heard of March Madness before. Uh, I was introduced to this term only recently, and I wasn't sure what it was. I googled it. So I discovered that March Madness has to do with basketball. But I guess March Madness is the same as football, but it's another kind of madness, you know. Uh, that, that, that sort of thing. And when I googled it, I was told that you can watch 67 basketball games live. That's what they promised. Now, I don't know how I can watch 67, but let's look at this short clip. And in this short clip, ask yourself, who are the fanatics? Who are the idol worshippers? I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshippers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Are we idol worshipers? See, if he can get us directly to worship an idol, he will replace that idol with something else. Anything besides God that takes first place becomes an idol. And our hearts are idol factories. We generate them all the time. Money, fame, whatever. Idols. We have parents who idolize their children. We have children who idolize their parents. It's heartbreaking, you know, that for some parents, they would not let their children serve God. Why? Oh, they'll be suffering. Stay in America. Get a 9-to-5 job. You'll be safe. 
Is that idolatry? That is idolatry. Because the children's security becomes more important than God himself. Our hearts are idol factories and we make idols of anything. And I think that's the subtle approach of Satan. He he causes us to take something as more important than God. I know this, it is very hard. It, it, it oppresses us. But a lighter, on a lighter note, we have, we, we have all that, right? Uh, we, we may laugh at other people. Oh, the guy is an idolater. I mean, we look at uh, people who actually worship idols and we laugh at them. But we too have them. Uh, we talk about slavery in Egypt. And if you actually visit Egypt, you'll find that they have idols all over the place. They worship ridiculous animals. They worship the cricket. Uh, they, they worship frogs. What about modern slavery? What does it look like in America? We laugh at the Egyptian. What does modern slavery, what does modern idolatry look like? in your life, in our life. See, we are lured into worshipping this unseen things like lust, greed, anger. And we ask, how, how can pastors do those things? I mean, that's the question that people ask. And people are disgusted. I'm disgusted. But as I look at my own heart, I realize that if I am not careful, I can last after those things. Fame, pride, success. And the question is, how, can it, how could it have happened to Andy, to Jared? It can happen to any one of us. Because we, are, we can be lured and Satan paints it so beautifully. He appears to us as an angel of light. This is okay. Nobody can see you. Nobody can see what you are doing. You are all alone. Your parents are not home. You have the whole house yourself. I worry about what our kids do at home, especially when dad is 10,000 miles away. So if he cannot attack us directly, cause us to worship real idols, he attack us indirectly through these other kinds of idols, lust, greed, and all that. So how do we then fight this spiritual warfare? We talked a little bit about it last week, that we take our stand against Satan. We stand our ground. Remember, we had a karate expert, two karate experts, to show you the first way to win a fight is to stand properly and then secondly we talk about putting on the whole armor if we fall brothers and sisters it's not because god has not equipped us he has already equipped us with the full armor and so how are we really how are we really to fight this war that we are in ephesians 6 10 says finally be strong in the lord and in His mighty power. It has everything to do with Him. See, there are three words on strength in this one verse. 
three words. The first is be strong. That's the word where you get dynamite, dunamis, be empowered. That's what Paul is saying. We are facing an enemy and he will take no prisoners. Be strong. And what's interesting is that this is in the same construction as be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is is in the present tense. It's every day I get out of bed, I have to be strong. I can't depend on yesterday. I can't depend on last week's sermon. I can't depend on my Bible reading from a year ago. I have to prepare today. Present tense, it's in the plural. He's talking about all of us. We, when someone sin in the body, we grieve together. When someone rejoices, we rejoice together. It, it's, it's body life. And how can we be empowered to fight this battle? We can't fight it alone. And I remember that several weeks ago, we showed the youth a short clip of a movie that is now in the theater, uh, A Life of Valor. Uh, it's all acted by na Navy SEALs, real Navy SEALs. And one of the statements made by the Navy SEAL was that we never go in alone. You go in alone, you die. You go in alone, you die. They always go in in twos or in a team. And I think one of the reasons why we fall, maybe why Andy and why Jared fell, they were alone. And so it's our responsibility. It's so nice to come. You know, I was with the youth for the 30-hour famine. It's very nice. We chit-chat. We have fun. We pray together. We do Bible study. But the question is, am I sensitive enough to look after the, the, the concern of somebody? I hear a cry here that this person is struggling with this. Do I lend a helping hand or do I just, that's his business. It's her business. Or do I take time to go and talk with this person, pray for this person, and if I can't help this person, bring this person to some, somewhere else, someone else who can help, okay? We must be strong, plural. And it's in the passive, that is, the Lord will make me strong. I can't make myself strong. And then it is also an imperative. It is a command. Be strong. He's not giving us a choice. He's not a suggestion. He's saying you have to be strong. And secondly, mighty. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Iskus, strength, might, power, krate, full force. How, how, how else can he say it? In such a short sentence, he's saying that the only way we can win this war is if we know where the power is and draw upon the power. And the power is available to all of us. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has equipped us with the armor. You know, we have already won. Yes, the devil is strong, but we have already won the war. He is already a foe that has been defeated. Christ has already won. We are on the winning side. Therefore, we can stand firm, stand firm on the ground that Jesus 
has already won. You know, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. One of the seven statements he made. That's an accounting word, meaning that debt has been paid. Our sins have been paid by his death. And therefore, Satan has been defeated. He has already died for our sins. He has already paid for our sins. Do you believe in that? And if you accept that fact, then you are forgiven and you are set free from the dominion of Satan and sin. But Satan doesn't give up his fight easily. We read this in Acts 16. This is an example of a power encounter in the life of Paul and Silas. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Interesting. The devil proclaiming the gospel. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul uh, became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And what happened? There was a riot. The church was formed. Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having past tense, Disarm the powers. Satan has been disarmed. And authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is a picture of victory. And we should stand on that ground. We shouldn't be fearful of the, the methods of Satan. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power. Do you know that we have divine power? To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And every time a missionary goes into the mission field, that person is going there with all the authority of God and they are demolishing strongholds. Ephesians 4, verse 26, we read that a long time ago. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. What's he referring to? The foothold is what came before, anger. When Christians get angry with one another, when you get angry with your dad, your dad gets angry with you or you get angry with your spouse for good or for bad reason, and if it stays that way, the anger builds up. It becomes a foothold for Satan and it causes problems. Even though Satan has lost the war, that doesn't mean he's giving up without a fight. And if you read history, now I'm not a history buff of uh, 
the U.S. Civil War. But I was told the U.S. Civil War was ended. They already signed the peace treaty. The Southern Army surrendered. But it didn't stop at least one battle from happening. They fought. And you have heard, in the Second World War, Japan lost the war, but it didn't stop some soldiers from continuing to fight. And there were Japanese soldiers hiding in the jungles in the Philippines. They were still shooting at people many years later. And basically, that's what Satan is doing. We are fighting a spiritual warfare against him. But we are fighting from victory ground. He's a defeated foe, but he's formidable. He's not giving up without a fight. 1 Peter 5, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist him. Stand your ground. We have already won. We hold the ground that has already been won. We stand our ground and put on the armor that was provided for us. And if we are wounded because we didn't put on the full armor, it's not God's fault. It's our fault because he said, Put on the whole armor. We are in a real war and the fighting is brutal. The casualties are real. And we felt it the past two weeks. I don't know about you. It's like I was living in a daze when this news broke. It, it caught me by surprise. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel hurt. And I think of Abby and Jared. I think back about Andy. I really feel bad because I know they are suffering and I'm suffering with them. And it says here in the verse 1 Peter 5, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Resist him. That is suffering already. Suffer for what is right. When we stand for God, we will suffer for what is right. But the worst thing is to suffer for what is wrong. That is needless suffering. And I think in Andy's case, in Jared's case, that is needless suffering. And they are suffering. And we suffer with them. And so the, we have to stand. Stand our ground. Why did it happen? Maybe they were lured, probably, into thinking that it's okay. Nobody will know. And they worship an idol. I don't know what your idol is. We know what was Jared's idol. What's your idol? Something hidden in your heart, nobody sees. But you know, one day it will be revealed. One day God is going to take the lid off and everybody will see our idol. And there will be suffering then. Shame. Brother, suffer now. Confess our sins and move on. So we need to take a stand and resist, stand firm on victory ground. I read a story that kind of shows this. It's graphic. It's a naturalist. He takes picture of nature, of animals. And one time, Craig, Craig Charles was in the foothills of 
Southern California or Northern Eastern California. And from a distance, he saw a mountain lion drinking at a water hole. And then when the mountain lion moved off, he went there and examined the tracks and he took pictures. And then he heard a sound and he turned around, a pair of eyes from among some bushes, some trees were looking at him like that. And the mountain lion walked out facing him. Can you imagine the scene? The mountain lion was looking at him. What would you do? What did he do? Now he gave us a background of that part of California. Mountain lions are known to take down animals six, seven, and eight times their size. Their method, attack from behind, clamp onto the spine at the base of the prey's skull and snap the spine. The top vertebrae are the targets, housing respiratory and motor skills that cease instantly when the cord is cut. Mountain lions have stalked people in that area for miles. And in fact, they did a study. A woman was attacked not long ago. She was jogging and she was attacked by the, a mountain lion. But somehow she managed to escape. She ran off. But you know the mountain lion took a shortcut a few miles down that same road and pounced on her from behind and killed her. That's the background. Let me quote what Charles said. What did he do? Quote, I hold firm to my ground and do not even intimate that I will back off. If I run, it is certain that I will have a mountain lion all over me. If I give it my back, I will only briefly feel its weight on me against the ground. The canine teeth will open my vertebrae without breaking a single bone. The mountain lion begins to move to my left and I turn, keeping my face on it and my, my knife on my right side. It paces to my right, trying to get around on my other side to get behind me. I turn facing him, staring at him. My stare is about the only defense I have. And he said, this went on for some time. They were staring at one another. And the mountain lion was trying to provoke him to run, turning left, turning right. And the distance was shortening, 10 feet. Finally, the standoff ends. The lion turns and walks away, defeated by a man who knew what and what not to do in his presence. And basically, that's what happened. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And if we don't know that we are at war, we will lose. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Are you strong in His mighty power? I'm telling you, I was very depressed this week. And while I was preparing this, I went through, studied, studied, and then I had to look at a book and lo and behold, as I was finishing out the sermon, something fell out of that book that I was reading. And this is a letter written to me from a 14-year-old girl. 14-year-old. I baptized her from my first church. And it is an encouraging letter to the pastor. And I felt that, wow, Lord, you know, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. 
And I felt the Lord telling me, be strong. And I'm just wondering, are we strong this morning? Maybe we are strong in our own strength. But he says, be strong in the Lord. In the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when you leave this place, I pray that you will take hold of this promise. We are on victory ground. We have won. The devil is defeated. But he's still trying to frighten us. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's stand together for the closing song and prayer. Father, we want to thank you. We thank you that we can trust you. You love us more than anything. That's the reason why you send your beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for each one of us, that we are that precious to you. And therefore, Lord, when we face our enemy, we know that we don't have to face him alone, that we have at our full disposal the full armor that you have given to us. So, Father, help us to be strong this day in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can stand the ground that he has won. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mm-hmm.